you have your Bibles, turn with me to Judges. We're going to be in chapter 2, verse 11, all the way to chapter 3, verse 6. If you're visiting us and you're looking at the Bible in the chairs, it is found on page 208. If you do not own a Bible, please take that as a gift from us. Judges chapter 2, verses 11 to chapter 3, verse 6. In honor of Holy Scripture, may we please stand for the reading of God's Word. The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshipped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They angered the Lord. For they abandoned him and worshipped Baal and the Ashtoreths. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he handed them over to marauders who raided them. He sold them to the enemies around them, and they could no longer resist their enemies. Whenever the Israelites went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them, just as he had promised and sworn to them. So they suffered greatly. The Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of their marauders. But they did not listen to their judges. Instead, they prostituted themselves with other gods, bowing down to them. They quickly turned from the way of their ancestors, who had walked in obedience to the Lord's commands. They did not do as their ancestors did. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned, because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. Whenever the judge died, the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their ancestors, following other gods to serve them and bow and worship to them. They did not turn from their evil practices or their obstinate ways. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he declared, Because this nation has violated my covenant that I made with their ancestors, and disobeyed me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I did this to test Israel and to see whether or not they would keep the Lord's way by walking in it as their ancestors had. The Lord left these nations and did not drive them out immediately. He did not hand them over to Joshua. These are the nations the Lord left in order to test all those in Israel who had experienced none of the wars in Canaan. This was to teach the future generations of the Israelites how to fight in battle, especially those who had not fought before. These nations included the five rulers of the Philistines and all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who lived in the Lebanese mountains from Mount Baal Hermon as far as the entrance to Hamath. The Lord left them to test Israel to determine if they would keep the Lord's commands he had given their ancestors through Moses. But they settled among the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Havites, and Jebusites. The Israelites took their daughters as wives for themselves, gave their own daughters to their sons, and worshipped their gods. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. You may be seated. Famous Christian hip-hop artist, Lecrae Moore, 
a number of years ago, talked about his testimony of how Christ saved him. As Craig talked about his former life, it was a life filled with violence, drugs, and immorality. When Craig was talking, he vividly recalled one incident. Lecrae was driving when he got pulled over by the police. He had drugs in his back seat, and he had his Bible on the dashboard. The officers pulled him over. The officers arrested him. They searched the car, confiscated the drugs, and what happened next? extremely mind-blowing. The officer spoke to Lecrae, released him from being arrested, searched through the Bible, saw that it was highlighted in some verses, and asked Lecrae, do you read this book? Do you read the Bible? Lecrae said, I'm trying to understand it. The officer told Lecrae to continue to read the Bible and let Lecrae go free. This was a pivotal moment in Lecrae's life. The very fact that Lecrae was shown mercy led him to all the more read the Bible. And eventually, by God's grace, Christ would save Lecrae. Lecrae recounted that story and even called it a miracle. He recognized that he was guilty. He recognized of the mercy that was shown to him, and that mercy led him to change his ways. The reality is, beloved, mercy is intended to lead to one being changed. It is a slap in the face to be shown mercy for your wrongdoing and to return to your wicked ways. But it's not the proper response to mercy. And yet what we see in this morning's passage is that's exactly what Israel did. Beloved, how do you respond when God shows you mercy? God always deals mercifully with his people. And the proper response to God's mercifully dealing with us in Christ is a transformed life. The proper response is love. The proper response is faithfulness to him and his word because he didn't have to be merciful. He chose to do it out of love. And in response to that mercy, we are to respond with love and obedience. Love what we see in this text is God is a merciful God and he deals with his people according to his mercy. 
Our big idea for this morning's passage is this. God deals mercifully with his rebellious people. God deals mercifully with his rebellious people. Because God is merciful towards us, there are three points of application for us and how we are to respond. We're to worship the Lord exclusively. We're to marvel at God's mercy. And we are to obey the Lord entirely. Worship the Lord exclusively in light of the mercy he has shown us. Marvel at his mercy. And obey the Lord entirely. So this passage, it is the second part of the two-part introduction to the book of Judges. As I said last week, when we think about judges in this text, let's not think courtroom, but rather combat. As these judges are particular people whom God has raised up to deliver Israel from their oppressors, from their enemies. Now these judges, they are not leaders of Israel in its entirety, but rather they are tribal leaders. They are delivering specific tribes from oppression. As I said last week, the book of Judges, there are 12 judges, six major judges, and six minor judges. Now, the major and minor, they are categorized in accordance to the length of the narrative in the book of Judges. As we walk through this book, we're going to see seven cycles. Seven cycles of what I'm going to label the seven R's. I'm a Baptist, so you know I like good alliterations. Can't take credit for it either. I saw it online and put my own spin to it. But seven cycles. This is what we're going to see as we walk through Judges. We're going to see rebellion, response, repentance, rescue, and rest. Rebellion, response, repentance, rescue, and rest. Israel is going to rebel. And God is going to respond to their rebellion in two ways. The text is going to say that he's going to be angry with Israel, and then he's going to hand them over to their enemies. This is God's way of disciplining his people. And then Israel is going to respond with repentance. They're going to recognize that they have rebelled against God, that they have strayed away. They're going to confess their sins. They're going to repent. And then God is going to rescue them by raising up a judge. And afterwards, it's going to say the land was at rest for X amount of years until the judge died. As we walk through the book of Judges, we're going to see... Israel's spiritual downward spiral. We're also going to see that the judges aren't exempt from it. Because every judge gets worse. Othniel is the best judge, and it ends with Samson, who is the worst judge. 
We're going to see their sin on full display, and we're going to see God overlook their sin and graciously use them to deliver his covenant people. God is the hero in the book of Judges, and God uses crooked sticks to make straight lines. So our first point, worship the Lord exclusively. Look at verse Verses 11 to 13, it says, The Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshipped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods. They bowed down to them. They abandoned him and worshipped the Baals and the Ashtoreth. Well, here Israel, they rebelled against their holy, righteous, gracious, good, and loving God text makes clear that they did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Evil. It's the very antithesis of God and his ways. God is holy. God is love. He is good. He is righteous. And evil is the very opposite of all that God is. God being holy and God being God means that his standard is the standard. His ways are the right ways. And Israel, being God's covenant people, they're to be concerned not about what feels right to them, but what is pleasing to God. And yet the text said that they did evil. The very evil that they did was engage in idol worship. They transferred the worship that rightfully belongs to God. It went from God to false gods, to idols. This is a very violation of their covenant obligations because in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 and 5, God says, do not have other gods besides me. Do not bow in worship to an idol and do not serve them. Lo and behold, Israel's doing the very opposite. The author emphasized Israel's idolatry. Did you see it? They worshiped the Baals, abandoned the Lord, followed other gods, bowed down to them, abandoned him being the Lord and worshiped Bell and the Ashtoreth. It's important for us to know, beloved, that worship isn't merely singing songs of praise with your hands raised. That is an aspect of worship, but that is not the biblical definition of worship. The biblical definition of worship is to, in reverence, prostrate oneself before someone or something. It is to serve it. It is to make this the center of your life. The reality is, beloved, everyone, everyone, everyone is a worshiper. God made us to ascribe glory and honor and praise to him alone. What's happened is that sin has corrupted us. 
where the very worship and praise that God alone deserves has been transferred from him to creation. From God to the things that can't even come close to God. Things that are not God at all. In the 21st century, idolatry is as present today as it was in the passage. People idolize status. I mean, their life has meaning insofar as they are well known by everyone else. Materialism. Pleasure, oneself, to where it's all about you. And here, what we see in the text is that Israel, they stopped worshiping God and they worshiped Baal. Baal was a territorial god known as the weather god. Now during this time, and even in our day and age, there were a pantheon, a plethora of false gods. They also worshipped the Ashtoreth. This was a goddess of fertility and was also associated with war. Israel participated in their pagan worship. And immorality was included in that. The very Israel who knew that Yahweh is the only true and living God. The covenant-making and covenant-keeping God who is Lord of all creation, who redeemed Israel from slavery in Egypt, who provided for them, who sustained them, who cared for them, proving that he alone is God and he alone is worthy. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says, Our Lord and God, you, you, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Israel knew this. And yet, they transferred their worship. Beloved, it's by God's grace in Christ Jesus that you and I know that only God is God and that God alone is worthy of worship. Because the reality is, before Jesus Christ saved us, we too were idolaters. We too worshipped creation rather than the creator. We worshipped false gods. And yet, the triune God had mercy upon us. That by his grace, he sent his son to die for our sins. And when Christ died to atone for our sins, he redeemed us from slavery. Redeeming us from slavery to sin, and that includes idolatry, beloved. To where now, being reconciled to God, we know that he alone is the one who is to get our worship. It is him before him who we prostrate ourselves. Because Christ has saved us, we know the truth that our worship is reserved to God alone by right because he's our creator and by redemption because he's our savior. 
Beloved, when you read the book of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is expounding on the great salvation that we have, and multiple times he says that it is to the praise of his glorious grace. That we are to be in awe of his gracious work of salvation and praising him for the grace that he has shown us in Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it propels us to forsake false gods and to worship the true and living God. It is not the Lord who we abandon, it's the false gods. It is not the false gods that we bow before, but the Lord alone. Because of Christ has been merciful to us. And what we see here, Israel, God's covenant people in the Old Testament, forsake the Lord so quickly and worship false gods. And like Israel, we too are tempted to leave the Lord and bow before false gods. Beloved, an idol doesn't have to be a physical object. An idol is anything that we love more than God. We live in a culture where idolatry abounds. We can easily be influenced towards idolatry, making life only about us, getting caught up in the rat race that we have to have, have, and have in order to be significant. Beloved, we're not exempt from this temptation. The question for us to consider is what rivals God for our worship? What is it that we think is holding a candle to God and his glory? Whatever it is, beloved, Lord, but no, no know for certain that it can't hold a candle to the beauty and glory and greatness of God. Whatever rivals God for our worship, we are to be a people who resist these desires and bow to Christ Jesus because he has saved us and called us from this life. Look, because Christ has saved us, there is to be a clear difference between the church and the world. The world may bow to certain idols, but we bow to Christ alone. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We're to be a people who worship the Lord exclusively because we know that all glory, all honor, all praise belong to him. Even as we sung in holy, 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 the angels now are bowing before him. The saints in heaven are casting crowns, not before us or other things, but before him. Beloved, we are to be a people who worship the only one who is worthy, the only one who is glorious, the only one who is supreme. That is our triune God. If we're going to worship the Lord exclusively, then we need to, by faith, dwell on his beauty, his glory, and his grace that is revealed in Christ Jesus. 
We need to be constantly captivated by the beauty of Jesus Christ. That happens as we dwell in the Word. Brother, as we worship the Lord alone, as we in reverence bow before Him, we shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ. We point the world to Christ our Savior. We reflect what the age that is to come will be like. God alone is worthy. May we worship him exclusively. Now, as we do that, if we're going to do that faithfully and clearly, then we are to be a people who constantly marvel at God, who are constantly in awe of his glory and greatness as revealed in the word. If we're going to be in awe of God, we have to continuously think about our salvation in Jesus. Which brings us to our next point, marvel at God's mercy. Israel, they rebelled in this way. Look at the end of verse 12 on down. It says, they angered the Lord, for they abandoned him and worshiped Baal and the Ashtoreths. Verse 14, the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he handed them over to marauders who raided them. He sold them to the enemies around them, and they could no longer resist him, resist their enemies. Whenever the Israelites went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them, just as he promised and sworn to them. So they suffered greatly. Three times in this scripture, uh, three times in this sermon text, we see that the Lord's anger burned. The Lord's anger was in response to Israel's idolatry. And the Lord gets angry. In fact, when he revealed himself to Moses, he made that known. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love and truth. This slowness to anger means that God does get angry. And his anger is always and only in response to sin. He's never angry for the sake of being angry. It is always, always, always in response to rebellion. And get this, he ain't quick-tempered. God is not a short fuse when it comes to him being angry. He revealed himself as one who is slow to anger. Not only that, Israel experienced this. They compromised. They disobeyed, and God continued to be patient, God continued to be patient, God continued to be patient, and now they're engaging in idol worship, and his anger is kindled. They've been persistently disobedient, so it aroused the Lord's anger. Now, you know, growing up, I love cartoons. And one of my favorite cartoons as a kid were the Looney Tunes. And my favorite Looney Tune was the Tasmanian Devil. You know, I just loved Taz. I thought he was cool. You know, and when Taz would get going, he'd get going with that spin. 
and he'd spin so uncontrollably, it'd be so wild, and he'd just leave a trail of destruction. Tasmanian Devil's Spin was its own demolition crew. And beloved, when people think about God's anger, oftentimes they think about Tasmanian Devil's demolition. They assume that God's anger is uncontrollable. But the thing is, God's anger is nothing like the Tasmanian devil. God's anger is nothing like the one who just loses it and goes crazy. God's anger is a holy anger because it corresponds to his nature. God is a holy God, therefore, his anger is a holy anger. Not only is it corresponds to his nature, it also coincides with all of his other attributes. His love, his goodness, his justice. God never loses it when he gets angry. God never sins. And that includes in his anger. And here his anger is aroused against Israel, and what he does is he opposed them by allowing them to be plundered by their enemies. He is the one who has been protecting them, and so he removes that protection as an act of discipline upon them. In fact, he actually promised that he would do it if they were unfaithful to the covenant. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 25 says, The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. Here the Lord is disciplining his rebellious people. And even in the discipline, God is showing mercy. In love, he has compassion upon them. He is sparing them for the actual punishment that they truly deserve. You say, well, he punished them, so how is he showing mercy? He didn't cut them out. He didn't condemn them. He didn't consume them. Instead, he punished them, and his punishment wasn't even aimless. It was purposeful for their repentance. God is being for them, even as he is going against them, trying to woo them back to himself. wounding them that the, he may bring them back. And beloved, when God disciplines us, because he does, the Bible is clear on that. It mentions it in Proverbs 3. It talks about it extensively in Hebrews chapter 12, that God is a loving father, and he disciplines his children out of love for his children. And when God disciplines us, know that he does not take delight in afflicting us. When he disciplines us, his love for us doesn't change in the least bit. He's opposing us for our restoration. God, in his mercy, allows you and I to feel the consequences for our sin, and yet in his kindness and mercy, he spares us from the condemnation for our sins. Oh, how merciful is God. 
allowing us to feel consequences, and yet sparing us from the condemnation because Jesus bore it all. And the very one who disciplines us in his mercy is the same one who also delivers in his mercy. Look at verse 16 and 18. It says, The Lord raised up judges who saved them from the power of their marauders. Verse 18, whenever the Lord raised up a judge for the Israelites, the Lord was with him and saved the people from the power of their enemies while the judge was still alive. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing and afflicting them. Behold the mercy of God. That in response to their great suffering, he didn't leave them in it, though they're suffering because of their rebellion. God, in his mercy, raised up a judge, giving victory that they may be freed from oppression. How kind of God. But what would compel him to do it? Did you see it in verse 18? It's not because how amazing we are. It's not because we were great and he just had to do it because he owed us. Verse 18 says, The Lord was moved to pity. Behold the compassion and love and mercy of God. That he is caring about a people who didn't care about him. He is concerned about the well-being of a people who weren't concerned about him. That when they groaned, he didn't ignore it. But responded with love and deliverance. Behold the richness of God's mercy towards sinners. That his heart was moved with pity. And why? Because his love never ceased. And the very God who had compassion upon his people then is the one who had compassion upon us after we rebelled against a holy and righteous and good and loving God. That in our rebellion, being his enemies, what did he do for us? He sent his only begotten son. It wasn't that we loved God, but that he loved us. That he was sent his son. That the son of God would come in a man. That he would obey and suffer for not his transgressions because he's sinless, but for ours. That he would die, that he would deliver us from Satan's sin and death that he would cover us with his blood, that by he would resurrect from the grave and by his grace we'd be united to Jesus Christ and saved by grace, as we heard in the assurance of pardon. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love by which he loved us, he made us alive. He saved us by his grace. those of us who are in Christ know that God's compassion just wasn't a thing in the past. 
The very God who was compassionate then continues to shower mercy upon us. Lamentations chapter 3. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Beloved, there is never, never, never a moment when the Lord is not being merciful to us. Let that sink in for us. That there is never a moment when the Lord's not being merciful. He never treats us as our sins deserve. That when we rebel, he comes for us in mercy. When we fall, it is his mercy that catches us. It is his grace that restores us. Behold the mercy of God, beloved. It is so amazing. It is more amazing than what you and I can understand and comprehend. We will always be blown away by the mercy of God. In the coming ages, we won't get over it. And so, friends, if you are visiting this morning and you're not a Christian, I'm glad you are here. Because I want you to know that God knows you. All the ways that you and I have sinned against him. And that God loves you. And he offers you forgiveness. He offers you mercy. He doesn't want to treat you as your sins deserve. That's the very reason why he sent Jesus Christ to take upon himself the punishment for sinners, that all who trust in him will be forgiven and saved by grace. Friends, I would implore you this very day, do not scorn the mercy of God, but receive it by trusting in Jesus Christ. Because the riches of God's mercy is found in the person, that's Christ himself. You receive him, you receive the mercy that God gives. Turn from your rebellion and trust in Jesus and be saved, friends. God is dealing merciful with his rebellious people. Verse 17 and 19 lets us know how Israel responded. It said, but they did not listen to their judges. They quickly turned away from the ways of their ancestors. Verse 19, whenever the judge died, the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their ancestors. Following other gods to serve them and bow and worship to them, they did not turn from their evil practices or their obstinate ways. They disobeyed again and again and again. And how will God respond? He'll discipline them and he'll show mercy, sending judge after judge after judge after judge. Beloved, the basis by which God relates to his people is grounded in mercy. Like Israel, how often do we rebel? How often does the mercy of God come chasing after us? 
see Israel's rebellion here, it revealed that Israel had a deeper problem. That they were enslaved to sin's dominion. That they need a righteous, perfect, holy judge who would not only defeat their physical enemies, but who would also change their hearts and save them from sin's dominion. Beloved, we have one. His name is Jesus. That's what Jesus Christ does for us through the gospel. When Christ was crushed for our iniquities, when he rose from the grave, he saves by his grace. And the new covenant is far better because what God promises in the new covenant, not only to forgive sins, he also said that he would remove the heart of stone, that he would give the heart of flesh. That he would write his law on our hearts to where by God's grace we'd be more repentant and by God's grace we'd be found faithful. Behold the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. That he regenerates us and the heart that he gives us, he reigns over it. So where by God's grace alone we're seeking to cling to Christ even more. Love it is as we marvel upon the mercy of God that we are compelled to live for Jesus. It is as we marvel by the mercy of God that we are compelled to not go back to our old ways. Because mercy has made us new. It is as we meditate on the effectual work of Jesus Christ and the endless supply of God's mercy That we want to live for him. So when was the last time you marveled at the mercy of God? At his compassion? African American hymn, they say it this way, when I think about the goodness of Jesus and what he has done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, thank God for saving me. at the mercy of God. But as we do it, it changes us. As the hymn said, it starts with our minds. We, we're thinking about his mercy. We're meditating upon his kindness. And it goes down all the way into our hearts to where we're just so in awe and we love him and it shows itself by a transformed life. So we want to heed his instruction all the more because we love him in response to his love for us. Beloved, it is as we marvel at the mercy of God that he displayed in Jesus Christ, it compels us to obey him entirely. We want to. We get to because of what he has done for us in Christ. Brings us to our third point, obey the Lord entirely. Look at verse 20. It says, The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he declared, Because this nation has violated my covenant that I made with their ancestors and disobeyed me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. He said, I did this to test Israel and to see whether or not they would keep the Lord's way by walking in it as their ancestors did. 
In these few verses, he's iterating some of the same things that he said at the very beginning of chapter 2. He's been faithful. They've been disobedient. They've rebelled. In verse 22, on down, we begin to see the Lord is testing Israel. I did this to test Israel. Verse 22. Chapter 3, verse 1. These nations are the Lord... These are the nations the Lord left in order to test all those in Israel who experienced none of the wars in Canaan. Chapter 3, verse 4, the Lord left them to test Israel to determine if they would keep the Lord's commands he had given them, he had given their ancestors through Moses. What we see here is the Lord is testing his covenant people. He has been gracious to them. He has made it a promise to them. He's been faithful. He's been kind. He's been for them. But what he wants is their obedience. That in response to his goodness and kindness, they were to be faithful. And so he places them in these situations to examine their faithfulness, allegiance, and love. That they would love him in response to his love for them. God is making clear that as they are faithful, they will inherit more and more of the promised land. That he would drive out all of those nations from south to north. This isn't the first time God tests his people. God, being God, has every right to test his people. He tested Abraham in Genesis 22. After he's been kind to Abraham, after he called Abraham, entering a covenant with Abraham, being faithful to Abraham, he tested Abraham's faithfulness and obedience. Wilderness generation, after God delivered them from slavery to Egypt, flexing his power, being kind and merciful to them, he tested their faithfulness to him. Love it's a test is intended to reveal our trust, confidence, and love for God or the lack thereof. Love in all situations, our trust, our love for Christ is being revealed in how we respond. Whether it's at work or at home, whether you're around people or you're alone. Sweet times or hard times, God has always been kind to us He's always been faithful. He's always been good. And our response is to be faithful because we love him. And it's as we behold God's mercy in Jesus, what he has done for us, it leads us to want to obey entirely. That we love him entirely in response to his love. Beloved, get this, the gospel doesn't prohibit obedience. Instead, the gospel produces it. We are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. We cannot add at all to the saving work of Christ. We are accepted by faith through the gospel. And then out of love for him, because he's accepted us in Christ, because we are eternally loved and secure in him, it is out of a love for him that we obey. It is out of that love, the scripture says that it's faith working through love. 
The gospel doesn't prohibit it. The gospel produces it. Paul got at this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. In Romans 1 through 11, Paul is just unpacking God's gracious and mighty saving work in Christ according to his mercy. Well, how does he call the Romans to respond? Romans 12, 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. Because God has been merciful. You give up yourself out of love. Not to gain anything, but because we have it all in Jesus. God's gracious work of salvation, it leads us to want to hear and to heed God's instruction. It changes our hearts to where we want to please him and not ourselves. It inclines us to want to walk, not according to our old ways, but according to his ways. So in the moments when we drag our feet in obedience to God's commands, when we are reluctant or downright refusing, refusing, it's in those moments when we have forgotten who God is. His goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness, his care. We've forgotten what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. The gracious salvation that we have. The fact that we are eternally secure in Christ Jesus. And so if we're going to be a people who obey entirely, we have to first meditate on the gospel. being wowed by the grace of God in Christ. Here the Lord, he is testing his people. He wanted to teach them how to fight, and that fighting is by faith, trusting him, walking according to his ways. This is what Israel were to do. Well, in verses 5 and 6, we see Israel's report card. But they settled among the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Havites, and Jebusites. And the Israelites took their daughters as wives for themselves, gave their own daughters to their sons, and worshipped their gods. They failed. They rebelled. And yet, God didn't condemn them. God will continue to show mercy because he will be faithful to the promises that he has made to Abraham. He will continue to show mercy because he will be faithful to the promise that he's made that one day a son will come to crush the head of the serpent and save his people. He will continue to be merciful, beloved, because he's faithful, because he's loved, because he's merciful. When you read this, the question is, can you relate to Israel? Disobeying. Some may have rebelled against God last night. Some may have rebelled against him this very morning. I want you to know that God is merciful, beloved. 
but he offers forgiveness. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but the one who confesses his sin will receive mercy. 1 John 1, 9, whoever confesses their sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. You can start today. Because his mercies are new every morning. But if we're going to be a people who obey the Lord entirely, we have to love him supremely. And that love begins as we marvel at his great love for us in Jesus. As we behold his love, it creates more of a love for him. So may we be a people who renew our minds, seeking for our hearts to be warm and our minds be informed by his ways. Because the mercy of God is intended to change us. But when we get, go to glory, no one struts into heaven. All come humbly. And you know what we're going to be doing? All throughout eternity, we're going to praise him for his mercy. Because we know that it was because of his mercy that we got there in the first place. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, we do praise you for your mercy. That you would pity us, sinful, rebellious people. Father, we praise you that your mercy is like an endless reservoir that you continue to lavish it upon us in Christ Jesus. Fathers, we see what your mercy has done for us. May we respond with worship, with a bowing before you, with a submission to you because you are kind and good. Father, may we always want to hear the gospel, not want to get over that good old story of your gracious work of salvation. And may it cause our hearts to marvel today as it did when we first believed. God, in your mercy, inflame our hearts that we may praise you and by your grace that we may obey Christ. For he is our King and Savior. In his name we pray, amen.